0: As you probably know, we just finished. Uh, how long were y'all in Romans, Jerry?
1: Oh wow, fifteen months, I think. <laughs> fifteen it felt months. like fifteen years for some of them, but yeah, fifteen <laughs> months is what we were there.
0: That's fantastic, so f- 15 months of Romans, and then we just spent uh, a good part of the two semesters uh, working through the series on cultural issues, how to think about them from a biblical perspective, and it was working out for both groups to end at about the same time, and so we thought, you know, let's let's line up and, and join, join forces here for, the, for a few months on the topic of God's providence. We need to pray. Jerry, would you pray for us? And then we want, we want to spend a little time talking about why we would devote so many weeks to one uh, issue, and... Uh, You know, we might need some more chairs here in just a second, guys. Um, Would there be some guys who could help us? Thank you, Billy, with with some tables in the back and some chairs. And Jerry, could you pray for us?
1: Yeah, we'd love to. Gracious Father, we are are so grateful. We are so grateful this morning, uh, this afternoon, for your providential hand, uh, for your sovereignty, for your deep love, um, that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die. We thank you that you gave us your own son well along with him, Now, graciously give us all things we um, trust your providential hand, but I think all of us would probably admit um, this afternoon that we haven't trusted you well in uh, numerous areas. So I pray, Lord, I guess commit these next uh, five months of study um, to you that that we would become uh, far more convinced of your providential hand uh, and that that would be foundational in the way we live, live this life, I pray that that would uh, eradicate worry and fear, um, stress, any sort of uh, anxiety that paralyzes uh, us from uh, really serving you well. Um, Lord, I pray that this would build a deeper trust um, this series would, uh, and that we would look to you rather than leaning on our own devices, in and, our and ways acknowledging you knowing that you're directing our paths and you're directing everything um, that goes on in, in our world. We're so comforted by this, I pray today, that we would leave with a, uh, a greater excitement and a zeal and, um, and trust. Uh, Lord, we commit this series to you, we commit this day to you. We ask that you would use Mark as he uh, teaches in Matthew later on, and that um, uh, you, would, uh, you would accomplish your purposes uh, through um, your Lord's day, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. So, Jerry, could you start us off here on some reasons, some practical reasons why we would devote uh, several months to this uh,
1: one topic? Oh, yeah, I just think it's so exciting. I just don't know that you can come with a, uh, a more exciting topic, and I guess that's what I hope, is that as we uh, talk about this, we were just talking about What, how great it would be if this is just more foundational in our life, continuing. If this is what we would really camp on, uh, and that we would remember that God's providential hand is foundational to everything, right? Like, including transmissions, you for you and Steve, Uh, including the dentist. including things that we're not normally uh, excited about. And that it's, it's um, something that we can just camp on. I really feel like in the last six months, Scott and Liliana, uh, you guys taught us so much about how life is different when this is what you're building on. If this is what your, your foundation is, then all of life, like the sins that would not uh, clobber us nearly as badly. Anxiety, I think, goes out the window. Um, the stresses of life. Nobody is stressed because God's sovereign. We're only stressed when we're not believing it very well. So I just felt like it's, not, it's way more than a, uh, a doctrinal issue, which it is to think through. But if, we, if it sinks down to our heart, Scott, I mean, just tell us how it's impacted you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would just say at the the outset in terms of, uh, I answer that in just a second, but I would just say in terms of why we should spend so much time, R.C. Sproul just said, I can't think of a doctrine that touches us more frequently and deeply than the doctrine of God's providence, because this doctrine is about how God is intimately related to my daily life. I mean, just every single detail of your life, this is infected by the providence of God. It's touching literally everything. I mean, it's like the the Spurgeon quote you're going to read is like, the the boat that's going down the steamboat, the, the bubbles that rise up, is God's in control of every one of those. You open up a can of Coke, every little bubble of the can of Coke, God is controlling that to the to the avalanche. I mean every, every single thing in your life it's God's providence is is touching. And so I think it's so practical. This is why we're gonna spend so many months on it. And if if I think it will help us be more god God-centered in our, in our thinking. I think Jerry Bridges talks about in respectable sins, ungodliness is this huge respectable sin where we go long periods of time without thinking about God. Well, if you have the doctrine of God's providence in the forefront of your mind, that every single detail of my life, everything, the green light, the red light, the conversations, everything is being orchestrated by God uh, for my good, then it's going to help me have a God sort of entranced worldview. I'm going Godward in in my direction. But I just think everything is being filtered through God's fatherly care into my life. If that is at the is the bedrock of your, your your faith, that's true. Which you know is true. The Bible teaches it's true, and so it doesn't matter. Like if I mentioned this last Sunday, every single cancer cancer cell is being controlled by God for Liliana's good and for His glory, for my good and His glory. Therefore, you can trust Him. You can trust Him in the most immense suffering because every single thing is coming with a purpose and a plan. And so again, if we live in light of the doctrine of God's providence, it's going to going to help us to live Godward lives. But we will trust God
1: no matter what's coming. And that just brings such joy. You know, I think when you, when you live with that as at, in the forefront of your mind, how can that, that, that not produce just a huge joy and a, uh, uh, and a good recklessness in the way we live for Christ? You know, we're, 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 we're willing to take a different sort of a risk knowing that he's, that he's in control all the time. And uh, I, I think you're, when you uh, talk about bridges, a great book, Trusting God has to be one of the books in the top dozen that impacted my life. God's all-loving, so He wants what's best for us. He's all-knowing, so He knows what's best for us. He's all-powerful. He always does what's best for us. Like you're saying, Scott, and so even with the cancer cells, and so knowing that, we can trust Him. And when we trust Him completely, life is just entirely different.
0: Greg, why do you think we're spending so much time
3: on, on this doctrine? Because um, if you're like me, I, I need it. <laughs> um, I, I know this truth. Like, I can, I can articulate what the Bible says about this, but putting it into practice every day, that's a whole different thing. Um, and so I think it's going to be good for us to see God's hand in everything. But my prayer is that we will take that, like has been said, and it will kind of filter down into every aspect of our lives so that we don't just know the information when we're sitting at that red light or whatever, but it starts to affect how we feel. It starts to affect how we respond to people and events. Um, it, it, it starts to affect how we plan, how, how we dream. Like I want it to get into me in that way um, because otherwise it's just an academic exercise and man, we spouted some good theology but it's got to go. It's got to go further than that. And so, um, I, I hope we hit we hit this as 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 hard as we can theologically and biblically. But I and I I, tr- I know this is your heart too. I want to hit this as practically as we can, um, because it really does touch everything, um, and it's got to work its way into every aspect of our lives. Otherwise, we're just Puffing up our minds with a lot of knowledge, and I don't, I don't want that for me. I don't want that for us.
1: And Scott mentioned it. It's true. This is why we believe it. I mean, we want to uh, become convinced from Scripture that it's true. But since it's true, let's believe it and enjoy it. Yeah,
0: uh, all really great stuff. You know, I think that you know people asked you. I know over the last months, like, how can you go through something this monumental? Like this is this is as big as it gets. And I, I think part of, the answer, part of the answer that we've talked about is it starts on the minutia of life. It starts in the small stuff. If I can actually begin to apply this doctrine to when I'm getting frustrated with my kids or if I can start applying this to small things at school or things that are not going my way at wherever, if I can apply the doctrine of God's good providence there and I, become, uh, I, get, I gain the habit, it, it, it is a habit. We have to intentionally think this way. Our flesh will not help us on this. Our flesh says, this is bad. There's nothing good in this. This is annoying. This is bothersome. This is messing up my life, my schedule, my whatever, my dream. But from the biblical perspective, God may be upsetting my dream, but it may be for my good. God it may be, is for your it good. Is, it is for my good. Thank you. See, this is why I need Jerry Eniger in my life. It may be for my good. That's, that's not right. It is for my good. It's definitely for my good. But God, God may be uprooting an idol in my life, and that may be a very painful process. But at the end, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. So if we can begin to funnel everything through that lens, it doesn't mean we ignore injustices in the world. You know, it doesn't mean we don't care about things that are wrong. It doesn't mean we don't care for other people, not at all. In fact, people who believe in this doctrine are the most productive, I think, who truly believe this doctrine are the most minded towards helping people. But um, just one, one thing here, we'll talk more about all these as we go. But when, when one of the great verses is when Joseph says to his brothers... As for you, you meant evil against me, you know, selling me into slavery, but God meant it for good to bring about the saving of many lives as there are today. Joseph would have been sunk had he only believed the first half of that statement. As for you, you guys ruined my life. You meant evil against me. If that's all he thought, see, we, 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 we will be actually sinned against in grievous ways, and we will sin against others in grievous ways. The temptation is either going to be just to see the sin that happened to us, which is odious and ugly, and only see that. In which case, we're going to start to complain. We're going to start to retaliate. We're going to become bitter. We're going to become angry. We're going to become self-righteous. We're going to have all these things. But if we can say, yes, this person did mean evil against me, but did God have a plan for this moment in my life? Yes, God meant it for good, for his saving purposes. And if that part can continue to come in and and filter how we think, My goodness, there's going to be a joy, Mm -hmm. an ability to forgive, an ability to not get caught in bitterness that all comes from believing God is good and does all things well.
1: Yeah, and and Greg and you have both expressed that well. It is so practical. If this does not become practical, then we have really missed it, uh, and we are not thinking correctly about it. And it never lessens man's responsibility. I think that's what I hope happens. I think your point's great that if we believe this, this will accelerate the, our uh, conviction of being responsible for our own actions and our own thinking.
3: I think it's important, too, that we spend time doing this um, because, you know, Scott, obviously you've been through some, some great suffering um, and, you know, others in here have. But if you, if you would look at your life and you say, I haven't really been through that yet, Get ready for it now because it will come. I think, I think that's the thing. Like Nobody's going to be exempt from going through suffering where they're going to be tested in their faith, tested in their trust in God. You know, is he really good? Is, like, those moments will come. And if you wait until then to try to get a handle on God's providence, you will fall and you will fall hard. If you get on board with it now and start in the everyday, like has been said, kind of preaching these things to yourself, putting them into practice, this this view of God and what He's and how He is over everything and in everything, um, then you're equipping yourself so that when the hard, the the really really hard times come, the faith-shaking, you know, life-altering for for forever kind of hard times. You're not undone by them. It doesn't mean they won't be hard. It doesn't mean there won't be tears, but you'll have some steel built into you so that you don't crumble and fold. And so it is vital that we learn these things now and get a handle on these things now so that we're not scrambling, trying to say, oh, what do I I need to think about God when it's happening? We want these things already in place.
1: Don't you think that we're better at ministering to others if we're able to somehow softly, gently... Um, but persuasively help others to work through their trials with this as the foundation. I just think it could really impact our ministries to other people, because like you said, Greg, everybody's going to be going through, and continually every day we're going through something, I think.
2: I mean, it's so true. I mean, Jerry, and this is how you've, you've done this. I mean, you've done this for, for me. Like, I've talked about this. I mean, I, I don't want to embarrass Jerry, but like, this is what he's done in his, his life of suffering. You're constantly talking about God's goodness, talking about God's sovereignty and his goodness combined, even as a brand new Christian. I remember talking to Mark brand new Christian, and something had happened, and and I remember Mark just said to me, Jerry would just say Romans 8.28, about whatever this was that I was like sort of almost complaining about, and that just stuck with me, and you just modeled that, and having an example like you for all of us, exactly what you're saying, when you see, we can encourage other believers in the sense, and I mean, it's just been massive, where you see someone just trust God no matter what they're facing, no matter what suffering comes, God is good and sovereign. It has a powerful impact, so then for when you start to go through suffering, you that impact is is on them, and they will trust God easier. I think is that exactly what you're saying? I mean I knew you didn't want me to talk about you, but I just that's been, I just can't help but say that to you you know I mean I just think again we this will help us go in a Godward direction again and again, and like Mark, you were saying. God could get rid of your dream, but God could also give you prosperity. He mm-hmm. could cause you to get a raise. Well, you're, if you're thinking in a Godward direction, you're going to be thankful. You're not going to go big head. No, God is being gracious to me. He's given me this financial boost or whatever it is, just wanting to continually go in a Godward direction. I think this is going to help us go in a Godward direction, because exactly what Greg is saying. You want this there now, especially when you're young. I'm just thinking God is absolutely, utterly trustworthy and good in your life. And so when the suffering does come, or the prosperity comes, like you're going to go to him, you're going to give thanks to him, or you're going to just lean into him and trust him uh, that he has good and wise purposes.
1: I think that that last part is a phenomenal point. Today. It will build our humility. That'd be another reason. When all of a sudden we're not quite as quick to take credit for things because God's the one that orchestrates everything. That'll really help us. You know, that pride would get, this will uh, uh, kind of tink away at our our prideful tendencies take credit when things are are good or, uh, you know, maybe not be quite as uh, quick to repent as we should. I think it'll produce both in us.
0: Let's turn just for a moment to Ephesians chapter 1, and there are many scores and scores, hundreds of passages we can look at and we will look at, I hope, a lot of them in the coming weeks. Ephesians 1 just paints a picture with some of these major themes. If you've been around our church for a while, you've probably heard this a number of times or read in different contexts, but I thought we'd just read a number of verses here, make a brief comment, and then we want to look at what some uh, Christians of old have said about the doctrine of God's providence, and then uh, continue looking at Scripture and trying to apply this to our lives. Ephesians chapter 1, Scott, could you read verses 3 through 14? Sure.
2: Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places.' even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ,
0: Well, there's endless things to talk about here, but just, just real quick, zeroing in on a couple of things here. L- look at verse, uh, verse 5, end of verse 4, end of verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now look at this. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So, providence is God's sovereign guiding of history. It's, it's God's sovereignty over history, and God's uh, providence is purposeful. It is heading somewhere. God has goals, and His primary goal is His own glory, and we're going to talk more about that today. But God is orchestrating all events ultimately for His glory, and you see here the good of His people is is, is front and center. Look at verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So you see there, God works all things together according to the counsel of his will, ultimately to the praise of his glory and for the good of his people. Any reflections just on this text, how it sheds light on this topic?
3: Well, one thing, and you, you touched on this, and I think, I think what we're going to look at in a minute, we'll, we'll flesh this out even more, but God has intentionally tethered his glory to our good. Like this is this is huge. If you if you're a, a Christian, if you you're a born again believer, um, your good is now one of, the primary way God's going to display His glory in the world. Like He 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 cannot receive the glory He wants to receive if He doesn't do you and me good. I mean that that is so clear in this. Now He defines what the good is. We need to be careful there. Um, he defines what the good is, but it's all for His glory, and He's going to do it through us and in us, and when we think about all that God has done for us, all that he's doing for us, that gives him greater glory. Um, And so keep that connection in mind. Um, God's glory is now tied to your good, and God will not seek his own glory apart from your good. And there's more we're going to say on that, but just keep that connection in mind right now.
1: That's huge. Hey, and I'm not sure what tethered means, but I like that word. <laughs> that is a great thing to remember. And knowing that then, and if the good is really being conformed to the image of his son from Romans 8, you know, the golden chain there, then that is a lot to look forward to. Because today, then you know, whatever's happening in your bad, the things in your world, whether we call them good or bad, they're good. And so is tomorrow, and so is the next day. And if it's all good, then we have nothing to complain about. We have plenty to be joyful about. I mean, that list goes on and on. And that's where, I think if if this fever catches our church, it could be instrumental in the impact that it has on countless lives because every day we mix with how many people, if they can see that in us. You know, that, that light will shine brightly if if that's the case.
0: Okay, so if you look at the screen here, uh, the book that uh, John Piper wrote maybe a year or two ago uh, on Providence is a big book. It's like 700 pages long. And the teaching team, we're, we're sort of using this as a little bit of a background guide for us as we go through it. So even the first four chapters, we're sort of echoing a little bit today as we talk to you. So just if you want a copy, we've ordered some more copies coming, but I think a lot of y'all have a copy of it. It's a great read on this topic. Uh, we, we commend it to you. Uh, now, I don't want us to get lost, but I also don't want us to miss some really good riches here. So if you look at the screen, this is from the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, hundreds of years ago, and uh, just tr- tremendous uh, theologians got together and hammered out this doctrinal statement, and uh, I want to read for us this part of it, and uh, let's not get lost with the old English here. There's a little bit of old English, which is great, and uh, let's, let's, I'll, I'll read it for us. Uh, this is uh, chapter three of God's eternal decree, point number one. God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. There's Ephesians 1.11 that we just read and other verses referenced. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Now, that's a mouthful, and every phrase is worth its money. I mean, th- this is a brilliantly stated do- doctrinal statement right here. It's, it's almost worth committing to memory. In fact, I think it is worth committing to memory, and it's backed up by Scripture. Let me walk back through it, and let's make a few comments as we go. So, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Let's start
1: there. Jerry, a word about that opening statement. Yeah, Whatsoever. And ask Papa about the all things. Papa will go back to the all things. But the whatsoever comes to pass uh, hits me in that. And it's by his most wise and holy counsel. So Psalm 115.3, God's in heaven and he does what he pleases. And what what pleases God is what he always does should please us as well. You know, getting a little practical on that. But what a fantastic... Uh, thing And I love your idea putting that to memory. That would be a great idea.
3: Well, the whatsoever comes to pass, I think, helps us. You know, it keeps us humble because mm. only God knows what that's going to be. So what, whatever happens in your life, whatever comes, that's what God um, ordained. Whatsoever happens. Um, and it's going to be different for each one of us. Uh, it's not going to look exactly the same. Um, and whatever it is, from the little things to the big things, that's what God ordained. And we, we have to, to linger there and let that really sink in whatsoever, not just some soever or a little bit soever or whatever. It's whatsoever, meaning any and everything that comes to pass in your life somehow has been mysteriously ordained by God to be exactly what it is. This crushes human pride like few things will um, because it reminds us that we are absolutely, totally, completely dependent on God and what he does um, thankfully he's good and like you said we can trust him I mean
2: I think of the, the passage in first Peter just came to mind like if necessary you've been grieved by various trials like it's if necessary if that's the whatsoever like if, if he deems it necessary for our good for his glory he's going to bring that trial into your life again so it's just every single detail again I'm just thinking you're driving down the road leaves are falling down like every single leaf that's driving that God is ordaining that with wise purposes like in your life so
3: yeah Can I say one more thing on this? I think this also frees us from trying to bear the burden of the future. Oh, yeah! Like God doesn't command us or expect us to try to have our future completely figured out. We trust that he does, and that's why the whatsoever matters. It's not what we're able to discern ahead of time, and therefore, you know, then we feel good. It's like, no, whatever. Whatever comes, we trust God's got it, and God's in control. I don't, Elizabeth Elliott, I may be butchering this, I think
0: she said something like, we can entrust our life and our future to the hands that were nailed to the tree. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the idea here. His love has been proven once and for all on Gethsemane uh, and, and Golgotha. There's no doubt about it. He loves us. He's, he's absolutely uh, committed to forgiving and, and saving his people. Therefore, I can entrust my future into those hands.
1: I think Caitlin would use that in her testimony. If I can trust... If, I, if God went, if the Lord Jesus went to the cross for me, then all of these things that I don't understand, I can trust are. Yeah, and Greg, your point about the future and the past too, forgetting what's behind, pressing on toward what's ahead. I think it frees us to do that. Do have I blown it in the past? Billions of times. Is God hindered by that? Not a bit, somehow. And, uh, and I think one other thing we need to say is that we are never gonna completely understand this completely. But that shouldn't hinder us from believing it. Believing it and then acting on it, even if we don't understand it. That's good. And if, it's way too big to understand, I think.
0: Yes, we, we will never be able to fully grasp this grasp in it. our mind or explain it all fully. Uh, no one ever has, no one ever will, and, and except in eternity. Perhaps God will reveal that. But I think of two proverbs. So think of from, the, from the, the big to the small. One proverb says, The king's heart is like a river of water in the hand of the Lord, and the Lord turns it wherever he will. So we're talking, we're talking Pharaoh, right? Did God control ultimately? Was God ultimately sovereign over Pharaoh in the Exodus story? Absolutely he was. Was he sovereign over Herod? Was he sovereign over Pontius Pilate? Was he sovereign over the leaders of Israel during the crucifixion trial? You better believe God was sovereign. He did not leave the throne for a moment. So the king's heart is a river in the hand of the Lord. God turns king's hearts wherever he chooses. That's, that's, that's the big. How about the small in, in Proverbs as well? Throwing dice, you know, casting lots, which is essentially throwing dice in the olden times. They they say the, the, the lot is cast into the lap, and it's every decision is from the Lord. So whether it is a king making a decision, whether it's a, whether it's Putin or whoever making some crazy decision, it is not caught God off guard. It is part of God's ultimate plan for for this world and for our good and His glory. And if it's if it's if it's you know a casino in Las Vegas right now, as the as the dice roll across the table in a casino, as those dice turn over a certain way, God has not left that alone either. Every decision is ultimately from the Lord. Can you talk
1: about Mark? How uh, I thought your point was well taken the other day to say. There's a lot of folks maybe that are certainly believers, and maybe it's all of us to some degree, that really just don't believe this, that really feel like there's still some random stuff going on. Yeah, no, I mean,
0: growing up, I remember having people say that, you know, I think God is sovereign over the big things in life, but he's not sovereign over what shirt I chose to wear this morning. Okay, just to make this very real, I was in Bible college, and uh, I had some professors believe this Some Professors did not, but I remember I had one professor who did not believe this, and we we had a fun relationship, but we disagreed on, on numerous things. But I remember I was in the backyard at a, like a barbecue with a number of professors and students. This is back in like 2010, probably, in, around, around summertime. And my professor, who just did not believe in the total sovereignty of God, just did not believe in, in what we're saying here. He, he looked at me in the back. I never forget this. He looked at me in the backyard, stuck his finger into his nose. Look, we're in the middle of a discussion. He sticks his finger into his nose, holds it there, and goes. Are you telling me God ordained that from the foundation of the world? And he pulls it out, and I said, I do believe that. And he said, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. That's comical. Of course God's not. I, I did that. I chose that. Of course, we're not denying that he did choose to do that. And we're not denying secondary causes. We're not denying, we're about to talk about that. God, God's not uh, doing violence to the creature's will. We're not denying that. Secondary causes exist. But it is actually true that God, from the foundation of the world, ordains whatsoever coming to pass, including Dr. So-and-so sticking his finger in his nose in the ba- at the barbecue. I mean, that, that that's no joke. So people will often say he's sovereign over the big things, but not the little things. But if he's not sovereign over the little things... We're done. We're in
3: big trouble. That is, yeah, that, that is not one bit comforting. Little things make up big things. Mm-hmm. You can't separate the two. I mean, I would just say, like, this is proper view of who God is.
2: Like like the song, our God is an awesome God. I mean, he truly is an awesome God. I mean, controlling every single tiny little detail. But this awesome God sent his son to the cross. I mean, combining those things, again, I'm jumping ahead probably on things, but combining those two things makes me want to trust him totally, fully, completely. I mean, he's all powerful, all knowing, controlling everything about my life, but everything is being filtered through his fatherly care into my life. So again,
0: how practical. I mean, so practical. Let me go to the next statement here. So, he ordains whatsoever comes to pass. Now look at this next part Yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Let's say a word. This is very important. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin. Who wants to take... I mean, this is a big part of it.
1: I think Greg does.
3: Yeah, well, <laughs> thank you, Jerry. Yeah. I love being voluntary. voluntary. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um We think the author of sin what that means is the sin comes from god directly like out of his nature and that cannot happen god is holy righteous pure good he is unstained by any kind of evil any kind of flaw any kind of defect any kind of propensity to to go against himself which is what sin is, it's against God, it's transgressing his law, it's missing the mark, it's treason, God can never go against himself, so therefore God can never sin. Um, It cannot come forth from him. If it could come forth from him, then that means that God has a principle of evil within himself, and that is one of the most horrifying thoughts I think we could ever think, and we don't wanna go any further down that road. Um, So sin does not come directly from God. He can ordain that it come into the world. And that's the whole thing of second causes is when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden, they truly willingly rebelled. Okay, When Satan um, rebelled against God at some point early on in heaven, guess what? he willingly did that. Yes, God had ordained it, but Satan did it. Satan wanted to. He he preferred to do that. He desired to do that. And so that's what we mean by second or secondary causes. Um, we are responsible for what we choose and what we refuse. We can't ever go back and lay the blame at God's feet and say, well, you ordained this, therefore I'm not responsible. You are. Um, that just cannot happen. We might think we can do that and Pat ourselves on the back, ah, oh, challenge God. But in reality, we're just digging our, our sentence in hell even further if we do that. We dare not accuse God of wrong. We dare not challenge him as though he has done something evil or even slightly sinful. He cannot. It cannot come from him. But he can ordain it um, in a sense so that it comes about through other means. I mean, we read stories all the time, and we, you know, that have good characters and bad characters and stuff like that. And it's an imperfect analogy, but we we understand that the author himself is not doing those things, but it's part of the story that he's telling. Um, and if if we want to look at it from that angle. God is including a lot of things in the story of the world and of history that does not come directly from himself and that he himself would not endorse. But in his wisdom, he has said, this is what's going to happen so that my glory will shine even brighter. Let me jump in on that. So no
0: illustration is going to perfectly make sense out of this. I grant you that. You can always poke holes in illustrations. This illustration comes from Jonathan Edwards, who spent a lot of time on this topic. He wrote a book called The Freedom of the Will, which is still probably the most difficult book I've ever tried to read in my <laughs> life, but it's brilliant on this topic. And, and Edwards gives this argument. This makes, I, mean, I think he puts the, the cookies on the bottom shelf for all of us, okay? We're like, okay, I think I can understand this illustration. Can't understand everything he said. But uh, he, here's, here's one illustration he gave. Again, not perfect, but it does help. The sun, now let's not think about the fact that the earth is rotating on its axis. Okay, that's going to ruin, let's just, don't, just think about the sun and the earth. Don't think about the, the earth rotating on its axis for a second, The sun, in a sense, is sovereign over day and night. Don't take it too far, but you get what I mean, right? The sun is sovereign over day and night, right? When the sun is up, we have day. When the sun is down, we have night. The sun, in a sense, controls day and night, if you understand what I'm saying. Now, the sun is sovereign over the day in a very different way than the sun is sovereign over the night. Think about it. When it's light outside right now, the warmth and the light that you see and feel outside comes from the very nature of the sun. It's what the sun is. It's a burning star full of fire and heat and light. So when you go outside, you are, you're feeling the actual, something from the actual sun touching your skin. You're seeing something coming from the very essence and nature of the sun that's out there. But when the sun sets, the sun, in a sense, is sovereign overnight, but in a very different way. Right? At night... The sun's absence is felt, and when the sun removes itself, to speak this way, the light goes away, the heat and warmth goes away, you're left with total cold darkness, and that's the absence of the sun. Not perfect, but in a sense, God is sovereign over good and evil like that. When good is present, when love, joy, peace, patience, kindness are present from the Spirit, that's the light and heat coming from the very essence of God. That That is who God is. It's pouring through us. God's love is being perfected in us by His Spirit, 1 John says. So when we have, when we choose righteousness, that's coming from the light of the sun. When we choose what is right and good, when we tell the truth, when we honor the Lord, that's coming from God's very nature, from, from His Spirit. But when sin gets the better of me, when I choose sin, when I deliberately pursue sin, that is when God has given me over to my own devices. What does Romans 1 say? He gave them up to their idols. He handed them over to their sins. And, and so God is sovereign over good and evil, but to use technical language, it's a non-symmetrical or asymmetrical sovereignty. God is sovereign over good uh, directly from his goodness. He's sovereign over evil uh, in, a, in a way of allowing what is, what is, what is not part of his nature.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Scott that really makes your I think James really says that then it 113 let no one say when he's tempted I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one so we have to believe that even Absolutely. though we maybe don't completely understand. but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own d- desire so satan the world our own desire that's the, that's the problem there verse 17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Which
0: James is actually using the sun and stars as a metaphor right there for God's yep. goodness. That's good. Okay, let's, let's continue here. So uh, I'm, I'm back at the yet. So God ordains whatever comes to pass, yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, there's James 1.13, Uh, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, like Greg said, we're making real decisions and real choices that we're responsible for, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. And they they put Acts 2 and 4, and let let me just reference this, we'll come back to these later. Real quick, this is a simple, very vivid illustration of this point. When Jesus was murdered, which is what happened, it was the greatest and most grievous evil that has ever happened, right? What comes close to this? The the most evil act that ever happened was the murder of Jesus. And yet Acts 4, 27 and 28 says, Truly in this city, Jerusalem, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. Now, do you hear that? God ordained, the the word is predestined. God predestined the murder of Jesus on the cross by Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel. God predestined that act. Did God sin when Jesus was murdered? No, who sinned? Herod? Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel, they made real sinful decisions of their own volition and choice, yet God was not just standing back watching. God was ordaining what came to pass. He's not touched by the evil. They were responsible, but God is ultimately sovereign. So we can say at the same time, God could say to to those who killed him, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, to bring about the saving of many lives as you see today.
3: Move on to the next part.
0: Yes. Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future, or is that which would come to pass upon such conditions? Greg?
3: Yeah, this is one of the most important points um, that we can make. And there's an exegetical basis for this. Romans 9, a lot of you just went through this, so this should be familiar. Can we turn to that? Yeah, Romans 9. Let's turn there. Um, You guys thought Romans was over. Oh, no. (laughs) It's back. Actually, I was thinking, sorry, not Romans, Romans 8. Romans 8. 8. 8, Not Romans 9, Romans 8. But anyway, it's still familiar because, you know, you're with Jerry, so you spent a couple of years there, um, which is good. Uh, Romans 8, 29, okay? You have this discussion a lot with people, um, you know, about God's foreknowledge, and we get people almost act like predestination is not in the Bible. um, And it's just a shocking thing to find that it actually is. The word itself is in the Bible. um, But predestination is actually not the most controversial word in the Bible. Philosophically, it's often used that way. um, And I think rightly so. But when you look at Scripture, um, I think the most controversial word is not predestined but for no. The reason why is predestination um, is in a sense underneath foreknowledge. Like you have foreknowledge, which leads to predestination because how predestination is being used here, it's a servant of what God foreknows. So we have to ask the question, Romans eight twenty nine. it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Um, we have to ask the question, what does foreknow mean? Because predestined is simply what God says, I'm gonna do to those I foreknew. Okay, so we have to say, What does it mean for God to foreknow something? The typical philosophical definition means God knows everything, past, present, and future, which isn't in and of itself wrong, but foreknow here for for a lot of people means, well, God looked into the future in some way, and because of what he saw in the future, that determined for God what he would do now and how he would um, act out his plan. Um, and so know, for a lot of people actually means foresaw. It doesn't actually mean foreknow. It means foresaw. Um, and as the confession says, he does not, um, nothing comes to pass because he foresaw it as future or he didn't base his ordination and his decree because it was something he foresaw as future. The word foreknow is rooted in the Hebrew and we want to stick to biblical usage of terms first before we go out, branch out into philosophy. Um, And in Scripture, the word to know um, does have at times a, a sense of cognizant, I'm aware of something, of facts, but it has a stronger usage when it comes to God's relationship with his people. It always does. Think of the the use Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam knew his wife. That's more than just he knew about her. Okay, There's a whole lot more going on there. Think about when God says to Israel, you among all the peoples have I known. It's not saying, well, I knew more about you than I knew about other people. God can't learn. He knows everything. And so the word has a relational, intimate, um, intentional pursuing, engaging, preemptive kind of thing. So that when it says those whom he foreknew, it's equivalent to saying those whom he chose, those whom he loved ahead of time, okay? It does not mean he just looked into the future and saw who would believe and so that's whom he knew. No, it's saying his his knowledge is an intimate acquaintance with somebody and when he foreknows, that means he sets his love on you ahead of time. Before you're lovable, before you even exist, God loved you, God knew you. Um, And we know this too. Like it's not just knowledge about things. We talk about, you know, I know so-and-so. You know, it doesn't mean I know about them. It means I know them. The longer you're friends with someone, the more you know them. Um, And so we have to let the Bible define its own words and not force philosophical definitions into this. And this will trip philosophers up. Because they have their category foreknowledge means God knows He uh, He looks into the future in a sense to see what's going to happen. That's not how the Bible uses the term. It's just not. And so we want to stick to how the Bible says it, and that's why the confession says it the way it does. Yet He hath not decreed anything because He foresaw it as future. Why does that matter? Because God does not need to learn anything. That that is an, an unintentional I think, but subtle. Um, undermining of who God is when you say that. Greg, I
1: think that's really key. And I wonder if that's where Mark when you're talking about that there's just numbers of people that don't believe what you just taught us right there. That that there's way deeper and you know where Scott started us not too long ago Ephesians 1:3 Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is blessed who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So it wasn't looking ahead and saying, wow, Greg's gonna be a pretty good guy. I think I'm gonna choose him. But it's the whole other way that God foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified from eternity past to eternity future.
0: And I agree entirely with that. If if you're still in Romans, uh, just look over at Romans 9. I just wanna look at one thing there. <clears throat> Romans 9, look here at verse 9. This is when Rebecca conceives the twins, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Romans 9, verse 6. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also Rebekah, when, uh, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Now look at verse 11. This, this spells out this very concept. Though they were not yet born... And had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Now, just just stop there for a second. If God's choice of one over the other was based on foreseeing their good deeds or their future faith, Paul never would have written that verse the way he did. Look at it one more time. Verse 11. though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. Stop. Why say that? We know that twins in the womb have done nothing good or bad. They're twins in the womb. Why even point out the obvious? Because the whole point is God's electing choice doesn't have to do with anything the twins had done or would do, whether good or bad. It's unconditional. It's not based on something he foresaw in us in the future. No, in order that God's purpose, verse 11, might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Now, one more thing. If you've read a lot of Paul's letters, you are used to Paul using the phrase, like Galatians and Romans, not because of works, but because of faith. You're used to that, right? We're we're justified not by works, but by faith. Now, if God is choosing one over the other based on foreseen faith, this is the perfect moment to tell us. God could say he chose them not because of works, but he chose them because of their future faith. But he doesn't say that because it's not based on their future faith. He says, not because of works, but because of God who calls. The older will serve the younger. This this is as clear as it could be. This is not God seeing a future choice. It's regardless of anything that they had or would do. God made his sovereign choice, which was a gracious choice of Jacob, leaving Esau to his own devices.
2: Which, I mean, just leads you to say, all glory be to Christ at the end of the day. And we know this is true. I mean, Ephesians 2, we're dead in sin. We know that. Like, if God, like Spurgeon said, if God would have saw something in me, like he, I never would have been born again. Like, no way. Like, he would have looked at your life at 16, you're still dead in sin. Looked at you at 30, yeah, he's still dead in sin. 40, he's still dead in sin. There's nothing in you. No way. It's all of God, all of his grace. So, at the end of the day, we, we want to say, all glory be to Christ. I mean, we, that's
0: what this doctrine should produce, thanksgiving and praise. Spurgeon said, God surely chose me before I was born because he never would have chosen me after. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all you need on that doctrine, isn't it? It wasn't that God was waiting for me to accomplish some feat and then God chose me. No, no. It, God chose me regardless. It, it was God's sheer gracious choice that, that led to my conversion.
3: Well, don't we want to say that in light of these things like this, we have to kind of set that foundation to talk about providence because if we're going to have any hope that God's in control, we need to trust that God actually is sovereign and that he's going to accomplish everything he desires to accomplish. Like, And we, we have to kind of establish like the confession does, God's absolute sovereignty in all things. Because if we don't have that, then everything we say about providence is is it's up for grabs. It's it's not necessarily trustworthy. Um, so, if but if God is um, that in control, that He chooses, He defines, He de, He decrees, like all these things. If that's true, then that's why providence can actually make a difference in our lives. Is because we know. We know what the scripture says about God being sovereign. But Mark, as you brought out, as Piper does, it's not just a bare sovereignty. God's in control. It's sovereignty with a purpose. And so we're already starting to see that when God makes these decrees, he's also going to act. He always has a purpose. He always has an intention in what he does and what he brings about. And Scott established this for us early. When you put that together with God's goodness
1: and you... Tie those two together, tether those two together, that is really good news. And that makes for an exciting week because God's sovereign and God's good. And uh, let's, let's let the great times begin, right? They're all, and they're all good whether we see them like that or not.
0: Scott, can you close us sure. in prayer? <clears throat> Dear
2: Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can start this uh, Sunday school series on, on the, your providence, and uh, I do pray that this really would be extremely beneficial for us all uh, as we spend several months thinking about this doctrine, this doctrine that touches us more deeply probably than any other doctrine, as Archie Sproul says. It just touches every single area of our life, every minute of every day that this doctrine is, is working in our lives. So I pray that you would use this doctrine to, to make a real difference practically in our lives. Uh, help us to just think more in a Godward direction. Help us not to be ungodly in our thinking, but help us to, to go in a Godward direction. To help us to think that you are sovereign. You are totally, completely, utterly sovereign over every single detail of our life, and you are absolutely, utterly, completely good in, the, in our lives as, as believers. And so I pray that you produce deep faith, deep thankfulness, uh, produce deep humility in us all as we study this this doctrine, and I pray that would produce praise and worship as, as we just think on uh, what an awesome God you are and what an awesome God we serve and uh, Father, I pray you be at work through the service, through the singing, and uh, through the fellowship afterwards uh, to strengthen believers, and I pray that you'd be glorified and honored as we worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.